Suffering, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this rip of TFTC. This rip was brought to you by our good friends at River. River's the best place to buy Bitcoin. You can easily buy and sell using the app. If you dollar cost average, you're not going to pay any fees on those buys. If you set up um, daily, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, whatever it is, you set that up, set it and forget it. You're not going to pay any fees on that. They have limit orders as well. So maybe you want to price snipe and set your your buy below where the current price is or above where the current price is. You can easily do that within the app now as well. They have auto withdrawals. They really value self-custody at River. So you can give them an address to a wallet that you control. And once you hit a certain threshold, they'll send the Bitcoin directly to that wallet. They're doing it the right way. They build everything in-house. They don't have any third-party dependencies. They don't depend on... Fortress Trust or Prime Prime Trust or any other third parties. They build their wallets, uh, their multi-sig cold storage in-house. Everything's backed one-to-one, fully reserved. Go to river.com slash TFTC. Sign up today. Great time to start sacking sats. River's a great place to do it, not financial advice. This was also brought to you by good friends down the hall, Unchained. It's lively down there right now. And then they are strong down the hall. They're leading the way in terms of leveraging Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties to bring you products that give you peace of mind, whether that's their vault product, their core product, which is a two or three multi-sig, where you can hold two keys, you can hold one key, you can hold no keys. They've got multi-institution, multi-sig now, partnerships with CoinCover, Kingdom Trust. They just announced Backed last week, really leading the way on multi-institutional, multi-sig. Again, they had that vault product. You can buy Bitcoin easily and sell Bitcoin via Unchained. Buy and send it directly to your vault. They have an RIA product, which gives you peace of mind, uh, knowing that your retirement funds are in Bitcoin in a wallet with keys that you control. You can roll your IRA over. Uh, they have an inheritance protocol, too. Talk about peace of mind, passing your Bitcoin on. Uh is a big problem that many people think of. Unchained has created an inheritance product, a protocol to make that as easy as possible. So hit them up. Go to unchained.com slash consultation to learn more about what they're building, why they're building it, and why you should be securing your Bitcoin interacting with their products. They do it the right way, freaks. Unchained.com slash consultation. Set up a call today. This trip was also brought to you by friends at CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is here help you bring sovereignty to your healthcare. If you're in Bitcoin, you're finding monetary sovereignty in the Bitcoin protocol. You should go seek sovereignty in other parts of your life. Healthcare is one of the pivotal parts of your life. CrowdHealth is really attacking the health insurance model, which is typically expensive, opaque, impersonal. CrowdHealth isn't health insurance. It's crowdfunded healthcare. You join the CrowdHealth community. You pay a monthly fee. If you ever go to the doctors, you pay the first $500 of that bill, then the rest is crowdfunded by the CrowdHealth community. They have a Bitcoin community. And the beauty of CrowdHealth is that you have health advocates. So you can get a personal experience, talk to somebody to advise you on what to do if you have a healthcare incident or health event that you need to take care of. They advocate for you with the doctors. Since you're paying out doctors in cash, they can negotiate prices lower and they get very steep discounts on everything. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, if you're looking to take sovereignty over your health care, me and my family have done this. We've been using CrowdHealth for almost two years. The experience has been incredible. It's much better than the health insurance industry. We were on Cobra. Very expensive. CrowdHealth is much cheaper, much better experience. It's a beautiful thing. Go to joincrowdhealth.com slash TFTC. Sign up today, and you're going to get $99 for your first six months of subscriptions to the CrowdHealth community. Join CrowdHealth.com slash TFTC. This trip is also brought to you by our good friends at Bitcoin Talent Co., a recruiting firm built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. If you're a company in the space looking to hire talent, to poach talent from the tech industry, from the banking industry, go get onboarded with Bitcoin Talent Co. They understand Bitcoin. They know multi-sig. They know mining. They know lightning. They're not just some run-of-the-mill recruiting firm. It's going to try and gouge you for fees. They actually are going to help you find the talent that you need. 
And since they know Bitcoin, they know what you're looking for. They have a flex product as well. Maybe you don't need a full-time employee. You just need a contractor for three months, six months to help you on a development sprint, a design sprint, growth marketing sprint. You can tap into their flex network as well. Uh, if you're looking to get into the space and get into the best companies in the space uh, and you're in the tech industry or the banking industry or somewhere else, go set up a profile with Bitcoin Talent Co. Get in the mix, get your resume out there and come help us build future built on a Bitcoin standard. Go to bitcointalent.co. Tell them that TFTC sent you. Enjoy this rip. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Welcome back to TFTC. I'm sitting down with Chris Hume from the Lancaster Patriot to talk about a topic that we've covered loosely over the last few years, which is food security. Last week, Amos Miller had Pennsylvania state troopers come and raid his farm uh, because of the fact that he was selling meat directly to his community. Chris, you were on site covering the situation. What went on that day? I believe it was Wednesday or Thursday of last week. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Marty. Yeah, it was Thursday morning. I received a a phone call from someone uh, letting me know that Amos was being raided yet again. This is not the first time this has happened to Amos. got the phone call. State troopers are there. So when I got there, I don't know how long the state troopers had already been on site. And there were, as well as the state troopers, there were employees of the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. And so the state troopers are really just providing security, quote unquote. So these employees of the State uh, Department of Agriculture uh, obtained a search warrant to enter Amos Miller's farm and search his product. So they were inside the building there. They would not uh, let me in. They turned me away. Uh, from what I understand, they wouldn't even allow Amos Miller, the owner of the farm, inside his own buildings while they were conducting the search warrant. Uh, so we don't know exactly what they did in there. I mean, and sometimes it can be difficult to get police body cam footage. So it's hard to say, you know, what, what they tracked in with them. Uh, they took out some of Amos's products. Um, but they were in there ostensibly um, testing his products and confiscating, seizing some of his property, and then leaving a detainment order saying that, I don't believe it's all of his products, but a lot of his products uh, cannot be used or sold or it can't even be disposed of. Um, but th- that was the initial, the initial scene, uh, about five vehicles there, two state trooper vehicles, th- three state trooper individuals there, and uh, preventing entrance into the, into the farm store. What was the justification of the search warrant? So the search warrant, it was an interesting search warrant. Uh, this was from an employee, I believe, is Sherry Morris within the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. The search warrant uh, cited incidents going all the way back to 2016, uh, which is interesting. So basically, Amos Miller, uh, just for your listeners that might not be aware, Amos Miller has been conducting his organic farm operations here in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, I'd say for at least two decades. Uh, I think he took over from his father and uh, he's continued to improve his operations and he has customers all over the nation. And the search warrant cited some different incidences dating back to 2016 where apparently someone, I believe it was in California, someone uh, allegedly uh, got sick and they allegedly consumed some of Amos's products. All of this is very vague. Um, There's really not a direct link uh, to Amos Miller, I, I think, and many of this stuff. But so they listed several incidents saying, well, um, someone got sick and they had Amos's products. Um, and so the search warrant kind of listed different years, different incidents. And then the latest thing was in December of 2023. So just this past month, uh, apparently an individual in New York and another individual in Michigan, I believe, uh, got sick, went to the hospital, and allegedly those people were they had E. coli, they got sick from E. coli. And once again, uh, they had 
consumed or potentially consumed or purchased products from Amos Miller's store. All of this is kind of vague. But in the end, um, the real justification on the search warrant, all of those things as far as, oh, someone may have potentially gotten sick, all of that was directed towards, I think it's the last paragraph of the search warrant, where Amos Miller is not licensed, he's not registered, he has not jumped through the bureaucratic hoops um, that the statists want him to. And so that's really what this is about at the end. Uh, I, I think the, the claims of sickness are just a pretense to shut down Amos Miller because at the end of the day, the search warrant says, you know, he is not licensed, he's not registered, he didn't follow our mandates, and that's why we should be allowed in there. Yeah, in this particular case between the state of Pennsylvania and Amos and previously the federal government in Amos is very interesting because Amos, if um correct, is Amish, correct? He's part of the Amish community That's in right. Lancaster County. That's right. And that, growing up in Philadelphia, we had Reading Terminal in Philadelphia, and that was one of the best sections of Reading Terminal was the, the Amish section. They would come in from Lancaster, sell their baked goods, uh, their meat, and everybody loved it. And the Amish have done a particularly good job sort of bifurcating and inoculating themselves from uh, the rest of society, the the modernized, industrialized, digitized society here in the United States. And they've done a very good job of running successful businesses and living in their own community, particularly in Lancaster County and other parts of the country, obviously parts of Appalachia as well. And I think this is a big point in the history of the Amish in the United States. They've sort of had their ability to run their operations. They do it very well. People love it. Again, people in Philadelphia love the the Amish section of Reading Terminal. And the state seems to want to cattle herd everybody towards these hyper-regulated parts of the food industry which is dominated by very few players. And the Amish for a long time said, we're not going to play that game. We make good food. We do it in a good way. We regenerative farm. We take care of our animals. We take care of our customers. And it seems like the state does not like that. Right. And I think this is, you know, maybe something of of a boiling point. I'm not sure. In one sense, I hope it does galvanize not just the Amish, but Americans in general to stand up for food freedom. You know, if we don't have the freedom to choose what we eat, what freedom do we have? Uh, but I think there's a challenge here and there's a lot of directions we could go with this, Marty, but, but the Amish, uh, you know, in the 1960s, I believe they really took a stand against government education. And they said, we do not want to send our children to the state to be educated. And that was a big deal because generally speaking, the Amish, you know, Anabaptist background, they don't really want to stir things up. They want to be left to themselves. But they did take a stand with government education, and I believe some people even went to jail over that. Some Amish men even went to jail um, because of their defiance of the, the government in that case, uh, which, again, is, is somewhat out of character uh, for the typical Amish mindset. And, and I think what Amos Miller is up against here, he's not only up against the statists in the federal government and, in this case, the state government. Uh, he's also up against a general mindset, first of all, I'd say in the American mind, that we need the government to regulate these things to keep us safe. Uh, that, that's a big problem in America. But he's also, I think, up against somewhat within the Amish community itself. Will the Amish community as a whole get behind Amos? Uh, or will they say, you know what, we just got to follow these regulations? And as it stands now, my understanding here, being here in Lancaster County, I think there's some hesitancy for the community as a whole, the Amish community, to really get behind what Amos is doing. And I hope that this situation, uh, and I hope we don't have to have more like this, will galvanize them to say, you know what, we need to make a stand like we did in the 60s over government education. If, the, if we continue to roll over here and let the government tell us what we can and can't eat, you know, we're not going to have a society left to even offer these products. You know, the Amish way of life will end, and not to mention freedom for many other people. Yeah, and it... I recall seeing you interview a pastor, I believe it was Friday or Thursday afternoon. And when we get back to first principles and essentially what Amos and other Amish farmers are doing, they're essentially trying to provide a good service to their community, raise animals, raise crops, deliver that high quality food to consumers 
consumers making an educated decision. Hey, I think this guy is doing a good job running his farm. I think his food tastes good. I think it's healthy. I want to purchase that food from him. You have a peer-to-peer interaction there. The state feels compelled to interject themselves into at any given point in time. And I thought that interview you had with the priest was pretty illuminating because you get back to like biblical, um, uh, sort of the biblical stance on this. Like if there's no harm done, there shouldn't be any crime and there shouldn't be any um, persecution on behalf of or, or towards the person providing the service. Could you elaborate on what, what the pastor said during that? That brief interview yeah. that you had with him? Yeah, that was uh, Pastor Joel Saint. He's a pastor here in Lancaster County of Independence Reform Bible Church. Uh, it's irbc.church if you want more information on Pastor Joel. And uh, one of the things I really appreciate about Pastor Joel is that from the pulpit and also just throughout the week, he is engaging in the public with the, with the law word of God um, and explaining how the Bible applies to all of life. And that's one of the things in... It's very sad in America where we've where we're at right now, uh, where we are. We 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 have such a a tradition, a history of Christian thought and, and Bible based ethics, and we've abandoned that. And one one of the important things that Pastor Joel brought up in that interaction was this idea of administrative law and the government, you know, interjecting itself in, in uh, interactions between people. So if you, if you look at the Bible and look at biblical law, it's, it's ensuring that justice is done between a man and his neighbor. So those, those are the two parties in the, in the interaction, if you will. It's me and my neighbor. It's me and someone else. And if I wrong someone, then that person can, can go to the magistrate and say, hey, I've been wronged by this person. Here's my case. And that's, that's, you know, there's much more we can get into there, Marty, but in a nutshell, that, that's the biblical idea of justice. Now, there's some more things we could cover, but the point is that the state coming in, we've created a statist system in America where the civil government now is proactively trying to, quote unquote, protect and manage our affairs. And um, R.J. Rushdoony years ago said, once, once law becomes positive in the sense that that the government can make laws that say, hey, we're, we're going to make all these laws in order to protect the health of the people. Once that becomes the MO of a society, tyranny is inevitable because the government will now say it is in our interest to protect you. So now every law we make, uh, we have authority to do this because it's in your best interest. Biblical law says, look, if someone has wronged you, now you go to the magistrate. And of course, in, in Amos's case, you know, and people can have complaints about a business and we could talk about that as well, you know, uh, willing seller, willing buyer. But I don't have a problem with people saying, hey, I got a complaint about this product or that product. But as far as saying that he has, he's done evil, uh, that's, we, we don't see that in this case. Uh, nothing Amos has done violates the law of God. Nothing Amos has done is, is immoral. Amos has simply run afoul of a status government saying, you have to follow our regulations if you want to serve your neighbor. And this is really the bane of man-made law in America. We, we, we elect these officials, and I think that one of the worst things we do, whether we vote Demo- uh, Democrat or Republican, is we assume and we continue this idea that they can just make law and, and they have the authority to tell us, you know, well, if we, we made a law, so therefore now you have to follow this regulation. And that's, that's an affront a violation of biblical law. It is. And not only is it an affront to biblical law, but the state's interjection between these peer-to-peer transactions with willing participants is completely counterproductive because you look at the state, particularly the agricultural industry in the United States, it's hyper-centralized. The end product is, frankly, unhealthy for people. We have diabetes rates at all-time highs. We have childhood diabetes rates at all-time highs. Uh, life expectancy is falling here in the United States. Heart disease is the leading killer, one of the top three leading killers. Now it's fentanyl, I believe, but heart disease is still up there. And the state's right. interjection in this market has not produced a positive outcome for all of society. You have to keep doubling, tripling, quadrupling down to the point where, again, they're attacking an Amish community that is 
sort of had this unwritten agreement with the rest of society in the United States, like, hey, leave us alone, we're going to do our thing. And that's been going pretty well and good for many decades now. And now they seem to be grasping for more here. And again, the outcome has been completely counterproductive and a net negative for society overall. We need more decentralized, distributed, regenerative farmers in the world, particularly in the U.S., and the government is directly attacking that right now. Right, yeah, and there's a passage in the Bible that says, the fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. So you have this idea of, and you know, some people might say, well, Amos Miller, he's not a really tiny, tiny farmer, but in the grand scheme of things, he's a small farmer compared to the huge industrial commercial producers. Uh, I would say he's probably you know, one of the, the bigger of the small farmers. So he's the target of the government because if they can shut him down, you know, then they can go next. I mean, and if you think, you know, you got an even smaller operation than Amos Miller's and you think you're safe, uh, you're not unless the people oppose this and resist this tyranny. Uh, and you're right, it's completely counterproductive. Um, and, and that's why the scripture over and over again talks about how when, when, the, when t- tyrants oppress the poor and they exact taxes on the grain, it hurts, it hurts everybody. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just very interesting to hear, you know, overwhelmingly, I'm hearing a ton of support for Amos, but there are people that are still out there saying, you know, oh, you just gotta, it's gotta follow the government regulations here. And that's another problem that people think the government actually cares about our safety, actually cares about our health. When, you know, we have, you know, not, not to mention the, the vaccine that was pushed by, by government bureaucrats, not to mention that millions of babies are murdered via abortion, you know, with the approving nod of government officials. All the commercial products with all the, the additives and the chemicals, they have no problem with any of that stuff. Because at the end of the day, you know, those companies are lobbying them. They're paying their corporate taxes. Um, they're benefiting. The government doesn't care about our health and our safety. What they want is control and they want compliant subjects. And Amos Miller represents the antithesis of that. He, he represents the antithesis of the nanny state. The nanny state wants us to basically have no other option but to buy the slop that the government mandates. It's the same as education, actually. Now, my pastor Joel was talking about this. It's the same thing with education. The government wants you to have no other option than to send your kids to the government schools. They want that to be the only choice you have and your children to consume that ideological slop in the government classrooms. It's the same thing they want with the food. They want you to have no choice uh, but to go to a government-approved uh, food producer and uh, eat that slop. And, and many Americans, thankfully, uh, are, still, are not willing to give that up. But I'm concerned, Marty, that many Americans are and that I'm just not sure where we're at as a nation and where this is going to go. And if we can't, if we don't have the freedom to eat and choose what we eat, uh, we really don't have freedom left. This is not, in many ways, this is no longer the land of the free. No, I mean, you think, choosing what you eat, I mean, energy is the basis of life and food provides that energy to humans to allow us to go toil and work throughout the economy. And if we're not allowed to choose the energy that we're putting into our bodies, what autonomy do we have, if any? And like everything you just mentioned there, like the government is a well-oiled machine. You get the education, the food industry, and the farm industry, particularly in this triangle, I would say they're tightly knitted. You have the education uh, education system feeding you the food pyramid, which is objectively just complete BS. (laughs) So you're learning, oh, you got to eat, 10 servings of grain a day, don't eat meat, don't eat butter, eat all these saturated fats. Uh, You're learning that in school, and then you're going to the shopping center, and you get all this industrial sludge, this soy slop, if you will. And then on the back end, when that soy slop gets you nice and sick enough, you go to the healthcare system with big pharma behind it to feed you all these pills that never really make you better. They just maintain uh, and keep you a, a client. And all of this as you alluded to, is filled by the donors that are that are uh, donating to the politicians to get elected. And so this is really tight-knit operation, well-oiled machine, fueled by a lot of money on the back end with special interests that is leading America as a society astray. We're dumber than ever. We're unhealthier than ever. And Big Pharma is reaping the benefits by pushing these pills and these shots that really don't do anything but make people 
customers for life at the end of the day. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of different things we could talk about here, Marty, that come, come up uh, with this case. I mean, and maybe I'll start with a few of them here or start with one of them. Uh, the idea that, you know, consuming raw milk or other raw products is dangerous. Uh, you know, you can have your opinions on that. I've been drinking raw, I've been drinking raw milk for uh, over 10 years now. Um, my children have been drinking raw milk. Uh, we've been drinking raw milk. Can I interject for sure. one second? The whole, this is a Hegelian dialectic move. The whole concept of even calling it raw milk in the first place is a propaganda technique. It was just milk until uh, about a century ago when uh, I believe it was Rockefeller sort of dictated that you need to pasteurize the milk. And then milk, that was milk for millennia, turned into raw milk. And you, you put this label on it that has this negative connotation that scares people away from it. It's just milk. That's, that's a great point. I had never thought of that. Of course, I had often made the argument that we've been drinking raw milk for thousands of years. But to your point, it wasn't called raw milk because that was all there was. Uh, I had never heard it put like that. And that's, that's, that's a great way to put it. Um, and in the end, anytime you consume any product, there's, there's a level of risk. And again, the government, you see, I mean, there's hundreds and thousands of cases of, of food poisoning, if you will, different illnesses. And, you know, I'm not making light of anybody getting sick, but I've made some food choices before where, you know, it really upset my stomach. I got pretty sick, but that was my choice. And I think there might've been some benefits to that. You have different philosophies on food and nutrition and microbes and bacteria and how you can develop immune, you know, immunity to different things. And if we want to be free, we need the freedom to make those choices. But I've been drinking milk, I'll put it like that, the natural way uh, for 10 years. And um, it has not made me sick. You know, my children have been drinking it. And, and But people out there that are opposed to this sort of thing, they have given up their responsibility they have given up their self-government. And it was William Penn, actually, the founder of Pennsylvania, where all this is happening. You know, I'm here in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Uh, William Penn said, you know, if we won't be governed, I'm going to paraphrase this, if we won't be governed by God, we'll be ruled by tyrants, something to that effect. You know, and if we won't be self-governed under the law of God, uh, we are going to be ruled by tyrants. And for many Americans, they do not want the responsibility of making their own food choices. They want the government to tell them, this is safe, this is unsafe. And what's even perhaps more concerning is that they trust the government to make those choices for them. That people still, I mean, uh, you know, you're probably like me, Marty. I mean, I, I have, didn't trust the government years before 2020 um, because years ago they were telling me it's not safe to drink milk the way my ancestors have for thousands of years. Uh, but people still, I think for many people, 2020 has just in, increased their utter compliance um, and, and really acceptance of a slave state where, where the state has become God. Uh, and, and that's really what, what this is here. It, is the state God? Does whatever the state says go? Uh, or is there a, a higher standard that we have re, uh, a recourse to? And, and I would argue, and I'm not sure the perspective that you have on the show, but I would argue that in the end here, we have to go to something even higher than the American tradition and the Constitution. We have created the system, I'd argue, with all these bureaucracy, all these departments, all this man-made law. Uh, and in the end, uh, we have to say, look, this what the government is doing here with Amos Miller, it is evil, defined by the eternal word of God, and we need to oppose it. And, and that's where we need to be really spending a lot of time thinking right now. Yeah, and to paraphrase one of the founding fathers, like Thomas Jefferson, like if a law is unjust, it is your duty to disobey. I think we are right. we are at that point here in the United States, particularly. And it's really disheartening too, because you replace God, actual God, with the state as your God. The state's not really an inspiring God at the end of the day <laughs> at all. No. It's, it's very, uh, they don't do no. anything right. They waste money. No, the state wants to, the state wants to, make you a slave and take your children and sacrifice them uh, on the altar of convenience. States like, like Molech, the ancient deities that, you know, the, the Israelites were tempted to worship, these pagan nations. Give us your children, give us your money, give us your obedience, and we'll make your life miserable. And that's what, that's what the state does. 
Yeah, well, you mentioned one thing there, convenience. I think that's really the biggest hurdle that we have here is that life today seems convenient. It's very easy to pick up your phone, get on the internet, interact with people on Twitter. You go to the shopping center, you go to the grocery store, you have all this food there. You don't have to go to the farmer. You don't have to go to the farmer's market. You have everything you perceive you could want in the many aisles in a grocery store um, with money. You have access to a bank account uh, and apps like Venmo and PayPal, and you can send and receive money as long as you're not doing particular things. Uh, social media, you can get on YouTube, you can get on Twitter, you can broadcast your thoughts out to the world unless they're certain thoughts. Um, doing, right. doing things um, the hard way. Like one thing we've we've had uh, Texas Slim, uh, Cole Bolton, who runs KNC Cattle Ranch down here in Austin. Uh, we've had them on a bunch of times, and what they're really working on is the thing called the Beef Initiative, and their their motto is "Get out and shake a rancher's hand." It's really overcome that convenience of going to Whole Foods or going to the grocery store to buy your beef and to go the extra mile, meet your local rancher, shake his hand, and buy beef directly from him. Um, but the sort of crux of that is foregoing that convenience that exists. And that's one thing that Americans who are dumb, fat and happy, quote unquote, happy, think they're happy right now. Um, sort of anchor to is the convenience of the modern world. And I think that's the big hurdle we have to get over. How do we engender people to develop a sense of agency and will to go the extra mile to forgo the convenience, to do the right thing, to get the healthy food, to get the good education, to get pr proper preventative health care. I think that it's not a question, but just a statement of a, the state of the United States of America right now. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have a lot of work to do. Um, and I'm sure you, there's a lot other things you could mention as well. Uh, but there's another part of this that to me is probably e even more discouraging than the fact that we have, created this man-made system, the status system, where every year, whether it's Harrisburg, the capital of Pennsylvania, or Washington, D.C., the capital of the nation, we just have hundreds and hundreds of more laws being created uh, over and over again, just tightening the grip of tyranny. That's concerning enough. But all of that is enabled, or the tyranny that ensues from that is enabled not by the legislators, not by the governors, not by, you know, anybody up there at these high levels that we elect and that we talk about, well, here's the important thing, you know, we got to elect someone else. All of this is enabled by ordinary people uh, like you might have seen in those videos I shared. You know, there's about 10 people there inside Amos Miller's farm. None of those people, from my understanding, were elected officials. None of them are high ranking people. There's three state troopers uh, and seven employees of the Department of Ag if I understand it, you know, probably just people with families, you know, just ordinary men and women who, uh, you know, maybe maybe went to college for um, some sort of environmental degree, biology, got a job at the Department of Agriculture or the state troopers, you know, want to want to go out there and make a difference or uh, just get a paycheck. Those are the people that are enforcing tyranny in our nation. Uh, those are the people. And, and this is this is the concern we have in our nation. We have the, the churches used to lead the way. You go back to, you know, the Black Robe Regiment and, and the American War for Independence. You had this idea that pastors would be out there calling on people to apply the Bible to, to all of life. Did we do it perfectly? No. But we've completely lost that. And, and now you have these people that many of them probably, you know, Lancaster County is a very rich, uh, has a rich tradition of Christianity, churches on every corner. Uh, many of those people probably go to church Sunday morning, and then during the week, they're raiding Amish farmers. And there's just this disconnect in their mind between the truth of the Word of God and justice in society. And in practice, they are practical statists, and the state is their God, and they do whatever the state tells them. So if it's Monday morning and the state says, you need to go uh, raid this Amish man's farm, take his food, uh, lock up the rest of his food, they say, yes, I'll do it. And as long as we have Americans who are willing to enforce these mandates, these directives, uh, we really have no hope. But we, but there is hope if we can change the hearts and minds of the people. Um, but that's where it needs to start. And so much of this, the focus is on, oh, we get, you know, the presidential election's coming up. 
That's going to change everything. It's not going to change anything. If Americans are still willing to be slaves and enslave others, uh, you know, I'm sure people get offended if I use any analogies like this, but I don't really care. You, you talk about the African slave trade and you had, you know, Africans enslaving their fellow Africans uh, to sell them into slavery. Uh, and, and the whole system is corrupt. And we have that in America. We have Americans like these state troopers and Department of Ag uh, employees who are basically selling out their neighbors in service of the state. And until we get Americans willing to stand up and say, no, you know what? I'm not going to follow this order. There's a higher standard. We will have tyranny. It's what the Nazis said. I'm just following orders. And that's what these state troopers will say. Yeah. The, uh, the army of Karens in, in our midst that will, that will enslave their fellow American at the, uh, at the direction of their state leaders. But that, I think that's, something important to really dig into, like how much of the Karen army going out there and taking orders is driven by fear, which is rooted in the belief that the state is all powerful. And if you do not listen, you will face retribution. And is there actual power behind that? Or is it all a big projection game? Like, do do we have the ability to push back against the state? I think that's what a lot of Americans again, driven by fear, they don't think that we have any recourse to push back against the state. Right. Well, yeah, you mentioned a couple of things there. I mean, one, uh, you mentioned earlier about this idea of complacency. And of course, you have the concept of bread and circuses, you know, in the Roman Empire, where you keep the people entertained and fed, and they'll be compliant. And we see something of that, uh, from what I understand in China. I mean, just just keep the people numb, give them all the entertainment, give them the pornography, and uh you know, they'll be, they'll be willing slaves to the state. The only way this is going to change, I'm convinced, is, is if you have, and maybe it's a small group of people, and a lot of things start small, but you have people who are living for something more than their own uh, satisfaction, their own convenience. And I believe that can only happen through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to have people who say, look, my greatest purpose, my purpose in life is not to be at ease My purpose in life is to honor Christ. And that includes loving my neighbor. And if I love my neighbor, you know, and Amos Miller, in a sense, the proverbial neighbor, even though he's not across the street from me, if I love my neighbor, not only Amos, but also the thousands of customers who buy their food from him because they want to be healthy, if I love my neighbors, if I love if I love them and want to see justice is done, then I have to oppose injustice. And that's what we're missing in in modern Christianity and modern America. This idea that, well, I'm just going to go about my business and and, and my, you know, my religion is just private to me. That's not how the the Old Testament prophets talk. That's not how the New Testament speaks. We are to see that justice is done. And if we care about our neighbors, we are going to want to see justice established. But to to your other point about the fear, uh, the the thing is, at the end of the day, Tyrants only have power if they have people willing to enforce their mandates. And we need, I think we need a group of Americans who, one, are willing to to resist and practice civil disobedience and say, you know, we're not following these mandates. And if you want to arrest Amos Miller, you're going to have to arrest all of us. Um, but there is there is a sense there is a risk here i mean because you have enough you know you call them karens you know i call them you know slaves of the state or, or you know robotically going in there uh those people as long as to them what's more important to them is their own security if that's more important than justice and righteousness then those of us who do want to oppose this stuff there is a risk that we are going to be locked up in prison there's no point in in hiding that but as as long as but that can change if the Amer- if Americans say we're not going to to follow and enforce these mandates. If enough people like see Amos Miller's been sticking his neck out for decades. If enough people were willing to do that, I don't think the state would even have the wherewithal and, and the capacity to uh, you know shut it down. But in many ways, Amos Miller, there's other farmers like him. But in Lancaster County, I'd say he's the biggest one doing this because there are other farmers who are following all the regulations. And some of them, you know, would, would, would disapprove of what Amos is doing, but I think they're missing the point that, you know, they have, they have given the state an inch and the state's not going to be satisfied with that. So. 
Now you give them an inch, they want another inch, and they want a mile, right. and they want everything. Right. It's uh, they never stop. It's a it's a machine with a lot of momentum behind it. And to your point of civil disobedience and the the security of the enslavers who are paid by the state, I think again going back to that security, it's it's held in that paycheck too. And I think this right. is a particularly interesting inflection point because the economic situation in the United States is systemically fragile. As we know, inflation has really affected uh, the economy pretty acutely over the last two years. And that's what I worry about is that you have inflation in a pretty bad spot, economic situations in a pretty bad spot. And so the state has all the leverage for the state employees, which is like, Hey, do you want this paycheck? Do you want to be able to buy groceries week in and week out. Uh, and that will sort of embolden them to go obey the state's orders and lock up their neighbors. Uh, and that's, again, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with Bitcoin, but that's why this started out as a Bitcoin podcast is why I work in the Bitcoin space and I'm passionate about it because I think the money is at the root of all of this. You can only fund the stupid education that teaches you the pyramid scheme uh, of the the, the food pyramid, you can only fund uh, all the pharma stuff. You can only fund all the big ag stuff with money that's printed ex nihilo. Um, and if right. you have the dollar, that's the only currency uh, that you're working for. You're sort of beholden to that whole monetary uh, policy and that whole monetary system. Whereas Bitcoin allows you to sort of take yourself out of that and operate within a monetary system that cannot be controlled by the state or any centralized third party for that matter. And that's one thing I know I personally and other Bitcoiners are hoping as we transition towards 2030s, more and more people, particularly uh, people who need it, like the Amish and people who want to stand up against the state and their encroachment on civil liberties, they notice Bitcoin as this way to fight back. Um, and it can provide you the security that the paycheck that the government is paying you to lock up your neighbor um, and actually over time a long enough time peri period will actually provide you better security and so that's the hope is that people recognize this and adopt bitcoin and that taking that action many individuals taking that action collectively is enough of a impetus to begin standing up against the state and saying hey we don't need your money we don't need your paycheck we've got this this money over here in bitcoin Right. Now, I'm not familiar enough to make any comments on Bitcoin, but I will say as it, as it relates to, you know, the, the fiat currency, uh, the money that the government just continues to print. Another example of an unbiblical practice that leads to inflation, that leads to really theft of the next generation. Uh, and so, of, of course, this is just another layer of tyranny where the government comes in and says, we're going to control the money supply uh, and we're going to regulate that and, and basically debase the currency. But you mentioned as well, you know, these state employees, you know, just an, another thing that if Americans, this goes back to, to the people, I really believe that Americans, at this point, I would have a hard time uh, justifying, you know, someone working for the state, unless they were, they said, you know what, I refuse uh, to enforce these things. But I think people, we need to take a long, hard look, if you are employed by the state government, uh, if you're considering it, think about what you're doing. Um, you know, I'm not going to make a blanket statement, but it, it's it, I certainly could not work for the state um, and have a clean conscience. What, what they are doing is enforcing man-made, unjust, evil laws. The prophet Isaiah says, woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression. That's what our state governments are doing, even in the, in, even in the reddest state. They, they are enforcing, they are writing man-made laws and they're paying people to enforce them. And as long as Americans, you know, want that and, and you know, are willing to enforce that, we're going to have a hard time at this. But if enough Americans and are awakened and maybe through shows like yours and say, you know what, we do not want this. We want to be self-responsible and stop working for the state. The state has no power. So that goes back to your original question. There's a fear there, yes, but it's this vicious cycle where, where, where the state says, we're, we're going we're gonna to take care of you uh, if you take care of us and go after your neighbors. 
And, and until we break that cycle and we're willing to pay something and give up something, we're, our neighbors are going to keep oppressing the righteous. Yeah, and it it's, implodes on itself eventually. We've seen this throughout history. I think we're in a late-stage empire uh, situation similar to the Roman Empire. I mean, the parallels to the Roman Empire particularly are pretty stark and startling, specifically the, the, the military. Like, Rome debased their currency, added a bunch of bunk metals to their coinage, to the Daenerys, slowly over time, and they expanded their military empire and take over most of the world, and then it got to a point where they debased their money so much that they were paying their soldiers, it wasn't worth anything, and they all quit and allowed the barbarians to come in and sack Rome. Uh, we are at a similar situation here where we're, we're debasing the money. I, I wrote a newsletter about this a week ago, and it startled me. I'm, first time I've run the numbers in some time. But the United States has been around 248 years. Uh, 68% of the national debt has been accrued in the last 15 years. So 6% wow. of the country's lifetime, we've accrued 68% of the debt and ballooned from 10.7 trillion in 2008, sitting at 34 trillion today, which is pretty insane. And so we've debased in the right. currency. Uh, if you look around the uh, global geopolitical situation right now, we're expanding our military pretty aggressively. We've had some uh, bad losses, particularly in Afghanistan with the pullout there. It's pretty pretty embarrassing and an interesting trend that I picked up on the last couple of months is military members, active military members on du in on duty stationed across the world on TikTok, like warning others, do not, do not join the military because the pay isn't worth it. I'm not making enough money. So you're having that, right. that direct parallel with the Roman army back in the day where the money they've debased it so much that it's not even worth it. You actively have active duty military members taking to TikTok to say, don't join the army. Your paycheck isn't worth it. And right. I think, again, this is why I focus on Bitcoin, particularly because I think money is at the root of all of this. Um, the, the, and that is why Jesus went and flipped the tables of the temple of the money changers because they were doing something that is probably one of the worst things you can do as a human. And it's probably one of the worst things you can do because it's very sly and imperceptible uh, it happens slowly mm -hmm. over time. And one day you wake up and you have 10% inflation. You, it's impossible to buy a house. It's impossible to buy a few bags of groceries. And you're like, how did this happen? It's like slowly but surely over time, the government and the central banks kept printing money and debasing you away. And that's what worries me. And going back to the call to action to Americans, particularly not to um, obey the government, don't go work for the government, don't go work for the state. Number one, the paycheck's not going to be worth it even though they can provide you a consistent one because they can keep printing money to, to pay right. your paycheck. Um, but it's extremely immoral at the end of the day because I think it's blatantly clear that the amount of laws that have been thrust, the encroachment of the state on civil liberties has gotten to a point where it is a moral situation. It is clearly immoral, at least to me. I think you would agree. Yeah, there's, there's no question to me that the system that's been set up um, – by by these government officials is evil and, and we find ourselves in it you know we find ourselves born into this nation and and how do we dig out of it out of it so you know i understand people right now using the money and saying but we need to start thinking uh, you know it's time has passed to think start thinking about how, how do we get out of this w what do we do um you know in in the meantime of course uh when people live under tyranny they are subjected to that tyranny and and many Americans, you know, have been working for decades and and everything, all their savings, all their retirement is based on this government dollar that has been debased. And hopefully there are ways around that. I know that's something you work on. But yeah, we need to change the hearts and minds of the people because um, at the core, um, there needs to be an appeal to something higher than the state. And, and statism is rampant in America, it's rampant in the churches. And I would define statism as, as the civil government um, basically claiming for itself that which Christ has given it no authority to do. Um, and it, it, unless you break that in the American mind, uh, we're really going to get nowhere. Um, because at the end, this is a religious issue. Who's God? Who's in charge? Who tells us what's right and wrong? 
if it's the state, uh, there's, if there's no one above the state that says what's right and wrong, if whatever the state says goes, then the state is our God. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I was in, I served in the military four years. So my, my father's in the military, but at this point, I mean, I would counsel anybody or anybody who asks me, I would say, you know what? I, I wouldn't join the military. In fact, even when I was in, it was very early on as I started to think through these things in civil government and biblical law, and I became very uncomfortable. You know, what are we promoting as a nation? You know, we, we endorse the slaughter of, of children at abortion mills. You know, we endorse homosexuality, sodomy. We, we're debasing our currency. Uh, we, we are no longer a, a city on a hill. And until we repent, uh, we are just, we are going the way of the Roman Empire. And I think it'll be a very, it'll, it'll be a much shorter arc for America than the Roman Empire. And so I think what worries people, again, going back to the convenience of the state and the convenience of life as it stands today, or the perceived convenience, I would argue, it's over the long run very inconvenient uh, due to the fact that you wind up enslaving yourself. What is the optimistic case for getting away from the state? Like, what, like people see this and they're like, oh, the government... Yeah, it's it's terrible, but like, what are we going to do? It's so big. It's very entrenched in our everyday lives. Like, if it were just to go away tomorrow, it seems like we'd we'd have chaos. Is this true? What is the optimistic vision for a future in which more people stand up, disobey, disengage from pushing the state's wishes? Like, what's the optimistic path forward? Yeah, well, believe it or not, I'm very optimistic. I don't know about what's going to happen in my lifetime. But again, at the core of this, for me, at the heart of this, I should say, is the guaranteed victory of the Church of Jesus Christ in the world. And I think any talk about justice, any talk about freedom, any talk about liberty, any talk about righteousness, absent the Christian worldview, is going to crumble completely and it's probably going to make us worse off than we are now. And so at the core is we need to, as a people, repent of our sin, you know, individually and corporately for our rejection of Christ and his word. And I think that started long ago in America, even in the 1700s. We need to repent of that because the hope is that these enemies, these are enemies, uh, people who are, who are debasing the currency, people who are raiding, you know, Amish farms, those who are supporting abortion, these are enemies of Christ. We need to, we need to, revive perhaps, you know, the Christian idea of that there are enemies out there. And the Bible says Christ is defeating his enemies in history, 1 Corinthians 15. So our, our, we have to start there if we are going to have any optimism about anything changing for the better. Because if we simply replace the state as our God with another man-made God, it's probably going to be 10 times worse. But there is great hope in the message of the gospel. And it's not just for me personally, you know, some pietistic message. It changes the culture. It changes the world. Uh, and we've seen something of that over the past 2,000 years. We're going through a dark, dark time right now in Western civilization be precisely because we have abandoned the gospel and the law of God. Now, what can we do small things now to get started? Well, again, I mean, I'm going to overemphasize this. People might say it's not, not that important, but the churches in America need to lead the way. If you're in a church where your pastor refuses to address these issues, refuses to apply the Bible to the issue of abortion, to the issue of currency, to the issue of, of food freedom, you got to get out of there because we are not salt in this world if we're not applying the truth of God's word to these areas. We're not loving our neighbor. So start there, but also start taking responsibility for your own life. My goodness, if, if you're if you're sending your kids to the government school, start right there. I mean, get, get them out of there uh, and, and start teaching them. And you might not think you're qualified. I'll tell you what, you're way more qualified than some statist uh, working for, you know, the government. They have an agenda there. They want to indoctrinate your children. Educate your own children. Uh, get, get in a church where the law of God is applied to society uh, and, and start, you know what, start making some risks. I know not all of us can go right out right away and be like, hey, I'm going to defy every man-made mandate. But you know what? We can start small, and this is just as important. We can support those people that are defying them. Amos Miller, uh, I, I think what's, this, his case is going to hinge on whether or not 
the community, local here and even nationwide, gets behind him uh, more than just donating, which is important. Um, you can go to the LancasterPatriot.com slash help Amos uh, for more information on that. But because they want to shut him down, they want his business closed. But w- are we willing to take any risks? Amos has taken a lot of risks over the years. Are we willing to, to stand by these people and say, you know what, if you're going to arrest them, you're going to arrest me too. Um, these are the things we got to think about. It's going to be small, but but a lot of these things, you know, I don't know how many people were involved in the Boston Tea Party. I don't think it was, you know, thousands of people. Uh, things, you know, sparks that change a nation, change a culture can start with a, a small group of people. But we need to have the foundation of where we're coming from. And uh, that's one concern I have, Marty. I mean, that I see I see a lot of uh, discouragement, unrest, frustration, and rightfully so, you know, with the left, for example, but the, the solution is just as, as bad as the problem. It's just more man-made law, more tyranny. And unless we have freedom as defined by God's word, we will have no way of, of knowing what, you know, left from right here. And we'll just be digging ourselves into a deeper and deeper pit. Yeah. Small acts. It doesn't take much. I believe that was 2%, maybe 3% of the population upwards estimates of 10% of the individuals living in the colonies during the time of the American revolution were the ones that actually brought forth the revolution, a very small minority, the intolerant minority can have an outsized effect. And I would echo that. Like we need to, the state should not be our God. Like we have these God given inalienable rights that people have completely forgotten about and just thrown to the wayside and again, it astonishes me that today people are willing to let the state come in, dictate their lives, make more rules. I mean, as a, a, we're hyper-focused on this in Bitcoin right now, because you have like Elizabeth Warren and all these politicians trying to demonize Bitcoin. And, it's, and there's many people backing them. Like, yeah, like shut it down. And like, for me personally, it's like, are you kidding me? Like I, I as an individual can't have the agency to look at the the market for monetary goods and decide what I think is best for me. The state needs to mm-hmm. tell me what, what money I can use and the money that they tell me is the only money I can use is being consistently debased and they're taking out ungodly amounts of debt and then using that money to funnel it into education that's making people stupider, more docile, into food that's making us unhealthier, into healthcare that really doesn't help our health at the end of the day. And most importantly, into endless wars that lead to mass deaths and suffering in other parts of the world. And I don't want that done in my name (laughs) and and, and the state and the people cheering the state are saying, no, like Bitcoin's bad. You're forced to use this, this cuck buck, this, this petrodollar, this war dollar if you will. It's insanity. It's literally insane when you get back to first principles and you do wonder, like, does anybody, do most people out there even think that they have the potential for agency at the end of the day, or were they born into a system where they think the, the first principle sort of fact of life is that the state tells you what to do. Um, long right. range there, but I think, no, uh, I, I mean, yeah, that's where we're at. That's that, that's at the heart of it. And I think, the reason, one of the reasons we are here as a people in America is because long ago we abandoned this idea that the law of God is supreme. And we've said, you know what, our system we've created has become the, the, most, the most important thing. I mean, if you went out and talked to people on the streets and, and said, you know, what, what's, especially as you start talking about politics or government, you know, what's the most important document ever written they're going to say the u.s constitution and and that's a big problem for me because the u.s constitution as great as it was and 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 still is in some ways is not perfect it's not inerrant only the word of god is and when we have generations of people being taught that you know what uh we can't question what the government does um because they are they are supreme. Whatever they say is the supreme law of the land. You know, then we're never going to get anywhere. We we have to come back to the point where we say 
the, the standard above all people, including the U.S. Constitution, is the law word of God. If it's not, Marty, I, I would debate anybody that would say, you know what, you know, we can have justice if we have another standard. Uh, we, we can't. There's no other way unless people submit to the ultimate authority, which is Christ. If not, it's going to be chaos. It, it, it always is, every time. And uh, you, you, you can't, you know, if you go the statist route and you, you go even the, the, the Republican route, uh, they're going to oppose true freedom because their ultimate standard is not the law of liberty found in Scripture. It is man-made law, and that is a cruel taskmaster. Uh, you know, and that, and that whatever, you know, freedom choices with, with food, with money, Bitcoin, anything else, it's going to be opposed um, because it doesn't serve the interests of the man-made government. No. And the piles of money behind it in the special interest. Right. It's, uh, yeah, they want their money. But again, I think it's uh, I think it's doomed to implode on itself. I think, as you mentioned, the Bible says God always wins in the end. And hopefully between now and the inevitable implosion of the government, <laughs> more people can wake up to this. Because that's what I worry about. Is uh, if you have a complete yeah. implosion and uh, and chaos, if you will, um, could be bad. But hopefully, there's a middle ground where people can wake up, notice that the government actually isn't as strong as it projects itself to be. You have more power as an individual. You have more agency as an individual. It just takes the courage to speak up, to stand up, to push back. It's really not that hard. It's been done many times throughout history, and right. I think today, particularly, we actually had the best opportunity to do this due to the t telecommunications technology that exists, social media. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah, it's pretty terrible in lots of ways, but it's also very good in lots of ways because it allows people to instill confidence in each other. Like, hey, I'm thinking this too. I know you're thinking this. It's like the silent majority being like, are you thinking this? Are you thinking Yes, we're all thinking this. Let's stand up. Let's push back. It's time. The, the government has gotten too big, too hubristic, and they're leading everybody astray, making everybody's life worse off. So... Yeah, silver lining, perhaps people will, you know, things like this and where we're at will cause, you know, the average American, the the commoner, I think is part of the title of your podcast, right? Truth for the commoner, yes. Truth for the commoner. I mean, we'll, we'll start to wake up. I know there was a period in my life where I really started to say, wait a minute, what's going on here? Is it is it loving neighbor to to regulate raw milk to, to prevent when we had... We have five children, uh, at least two of them, when they were born, the midwife who helped deliver our children was breaking the law. I think she was committing a felon, a felony, uh, I should say, when she was doing that because the state we were in at the time did not recognize her as a midwife. Meanwhile, babies can be aborted at the Planned Parenthood down the road. So until Americans say, wait a minute, something's wrong here, uh, love of neighbor is now criminalized and hatred of neighbor is authorized. Something is wrong here. Something's wrong with the money issue. Something's wrong with the food. Something's wrong with the issue of life. We, we can no longer blindly, and we should never have, but we can no longer blindly submit to the state and say, well, whatever the state says, they're God. That's, it, it is leading us into a horrible place. So I hope, you know, this can help this, you know, the work you're doing, uh, the situation with Amos Miller, that, that, we can have something of, of a change uh, in the American mind uh, because if not, uh, the tyranny will only increase for our children. And that's the thing people really need to think about. If they say, well, yeah, this is bad, but I don't really want to resist it. You're just leaving it for your children then. You know, and if we're not willing to take risks now and oppose this stuff, we're going to make it that much harder for our children to do it. And if we're not setting the example for our children, you know, we're, we're failing them. And, and I've talked to, I've spoken with people uh, who said, you know, their parents' generation, they're part of the problem that got us here. They were complacent. They were at ease. They said, well, we're not going to try to apply the principles of justice and righteousness from the Bible and the civil sphere. Uh, we don't want to do that. And now look where we are. So we need to start taking action, even if it costs us, because it's going to cost our children even more. Completely agree. Uh, I have two young boys myself. I'm thinking like, that's why I do what I do. I don't want them to grow up in digital slavery because <laughs> that's what right. they're trying to push us towards. Chris, thank you for the work that you're doing. 
the on the ground coverage is very important. I think it's crazy what you can do in the middle of Lancaster County running, uh, right. running your own publication and then it can get out to the world. You have Tom Massey tweeting about it. That is again, the beauty of social media and the beauty of taking agency and put taking the effort to actually get out there and report this as it's going on. Cause we need more eyes on this. So Chris, thank you for the work that you're doing. Where can anybody who's listening to this find out more about your work? How can they follow along with the Amos Miller case and what can they do? I know you mentioned donate, but and we've talked about getting out there and disobeying, but anything else that we didn't right. mention that, that people should be aware of. Well, yeah, I would recommend uh, go to the LancasterPatriot.com, sign up for our email updates, follow us on Twitter or X, Facebook, Gab. Um, I think there's going to be some more stuff happening very soon that I'm hoping will get even more reach than the initial raid, as unfortunate as that was. It was able to be, it was shared with a lot of people. I think something else big is coming up. I think it's going to be exciting. It's going to be an opportunity to resist, um, to show, you know, the state that, you know, people are behind Amos Miller. So make sure you're you're following our, our accounts, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, or just sign up for email updates. And uh, this, we're not going to stop with this because uh, if we roll over on this, the state keeps going. Um, if they're if they're resisted, then they really got to think twice uh, before. If it's just Amos Miller, they're up against. You know, they might be able to win. But if it's the American people. Uh, it's going to be a bit more of a problem. So go to thelancasterpatriot.com and uh, follow us, and hopefully we'll have more information, uh, more coverage as we go here. Keep crushing it, Chris. I think we're going to win. We're going to win, slowly but surely. That's all, we got to, that's all we got today, freaks. Peace and love. Okay.